0: way of announcement uh, our summer schedule is going to be different on Also, our annual church camp out uh, registration began. We have 37 spots um, in our I- immediate loop, and there's spaces available as needed, but registration began today. Also want to mention that we have our Men of Valor Conference uh, 2 coming up, and the Men of Valor Conference 2 is next Saturday the 10th. It goes from 8 to 11 at the Monarch. We have, I think, 16 to 18 churches right here in the North Platte. So, fellas, uh, I'm just going to pass this sign-up sheet around. Uh, I'd love for you to put your name on the sign-up sheet. Um, I don't know how to influence you any other way than to say you should be there. Uh, it's, it's amazing. If you were at the first one, we had 250 men from right here in our community worshiping the Lord and studying the Word of God together and being challenged. Uh, Also, graduation, uh, we do grads and dads on the same day, June 18th. So if you know of a graduate or someone being promoted, if they're going from elementary school to middle school, that's a big promotion. If they're going from middle school to high school, that's a big promotion. If they're going from high school into college, that's a pretty big deal. And college graduates, uh, that's a big deal. So uh, let us know by... in Genesis chapter 39, and that's really where we're going to be, but today is Pentecost Sunday, and you know, traditional Jews on Pentecost Sunday, uh, they read the small Old Testament book of Ruth, and it's interesting that Ruth begins with, and it was the beginning. To do uh, with both harvest as well as um, really Pentecost in many ways, but more importantly, or equally important, there is some very interesting ties of the Book of Ruth with the lineage of Jesus and Genesis chapter thirty-eight, which we were in last week, is a sordid story, and it's placed right in the middle. Of what we would call the narrative of the life of Joseph and so we're introduced to Joseph earlier uh, you you know the story Genesis 37 where Joseph has a couple of dreams and in his youthful wisdom he decides to unfold all of what those dreams meanings are uh, to his family and that his family he's the youngest brother of uh, 11. Brothers and he proceeds to let them know that, well, y- you're all going to be bowing down to me. And not only are y'all going to be bowing down to me, but hey, mom, dad, guess what? You are too. And uh, so the older brothers don't have a whole lot of uh, delight in him. And then you, we shift from that story. He's treated poorly by his older brothers and he's literally put in a cistern. They have determined to take his life. And Reuben is gone. They decide to sell him off to a caravan of Ishmaelites who are on their way down to Egypt, and so they take his coat of many colors. Honestly, that translation is it was probably a coat or an outer garment that had sleeves on it. That's probably the true translation there, but we'll call it the coat of many colors. Nevertheless, uh, they take that and they tear it and they slay and Greatly, and it's in the midst of the mourning greatly that all of the brothers, all their all of his sons and their wives try to comfort Jacob, and Jacob is inconsolable. Uh, you know that Joseph is the son of Rachel, who is really the wife that he labored for initially in his seven years of labor with Laban, and didn't get her first, he ended up with Leah, and so Rachel, the one whom he loved, finally she herself became pregnant and gave birth to Joseph, and so Joseph is the son of Jacob in his old age, but also the son in whom Jacob loved, and it's very interesting because the older brothers, they're they're somewhat of a sordid group of dudes, and Joseph, even the text would tell us that Joseph is, um, he's kind of a... He says it all. He doesn't hold back anything. And so his dad puts him in charge. And so he's like over his older brothers, and he tattletales on his older brothers. So they really don't care for him very much at all, right? And so they do what they do to him with the Ishmaelites, and dad's inconsolable. And it's there during that, and it's in those days that Judah, chapter 38 tells us, left. Judah just bolted. Makes one wonder, why would Judah leave at that time? And it's at that time that he goes and he finds a Canaanite wife. Why would he do that? Why would he do that? I mean, that that was strictly, they were not supposed to associate, they were not supposed to marry. And certainly Judah fourth son of Leah, he would know about his uncle Esau, who did those very things. And it was very displeasing to Isaac. And so he would know this is going to birth, and the firstborn son will be, the first issue will be for Ur, er, the oldest brother. And so Onan thinks, hey, I'm not going to raise up children for my brother's namesake. And so he does that which is displeasing before the Lord, and the Lord numbers his days and takes him out. And so here Judah is like, well, I have one more son, and I got this black widow gal who <laughs> what's my son. So he's not of age yet anyway, so he tells Tamar to go back to her father's house in widow's clothing, and when their last son, Shelah, comes of age, uh, he will let Tamar know, and then he'll sire ch- a child for the eldest son, er, and take her as wife. Well, in the process of time, Judah's own wife dies, and Shelah comes of age. But Judah doesn't give Shelah to Tamar as husband, or vice versa, doesn't let her know that he's of age. Judah, in the time or process of time, it's time to go shear sheep. And so there's this Canaanite party uh, shearing the sheep. And Judah goes to shear the sheep. And it's told to Tamar, hey, your father-in-law is going up to shear the sheep. Shelah is of age. She's like, he did not give her to me. So she takes off her widow garments, she puts a veil on, and she plays... But I don't have them here. And she says, What will you give me in pledge? And he says, My staff, my signet ring, which is around my neck, and the cord that goes with it. And so she takes those. The next day he sends his friend the Adulamite to take the kid from the flock, and lo and behold, she's not there. He taken off her widow's, or she had taken off the veil, put her widow's garment back on, and she went back to her dad's house. So they're like, well, lest we be embarrassed, let's just kind of set the whole thing aside. I'll just do without my staff, I'll do without my signet and I'll do without my cord. And there's much implication there uh, as to what those represent, giving one's identity away, et cetera, et, cetera, et, cetera, et cetera, indulging in sin. So we looked at all that. Well, at the end of the day, three months later, Burn for her action, and so you know the story again. Uh, Tamar comes uh, the uh, Hebrew targumim, which are the oral teachings of the rabbis. Give us a little bit more detail. You might recall uh, in the Targamums it says that she could not find those three items, and she, so she prayed and said, "God, vindicate me, that I may not die." Find. And so the Targum teaches that God spoke to Michael, the archangel, and Michael was sent to open her eyes that she might be able to identify where those three items are. She finds those three items. The text tells us that she brought the three items. She cast them before the judges or the men at the city gate. And she says, he whom these belong to is by whom I am pregnant. Judah at that time realizes, that's me, those are mine, and he makes confession. Uh, She is innocent, she is more righteous than I, and ultimately, neither one of them are burned, and so there's grace that is administered. and it's a beautiful story. But what's contained within this chapter 38 is the fascinating piece, because when she gives birth, she gives birth to twins, and the twins that she gives birth to Names are, if you look at Genesis chapter 38, verse 27, it says, Now it came to pass at the time for giving birth that, behold, twins were in her womb. And so it was when she was giving birth that the one put out his hand, and the midwife took a scarlet thread and bound it on his hand, saying, This one came out first. Then it happened as he drew back his hand, that his brother came out unexpectedly. And she said, How did you break through? This breach be upon you. Therefore, his name was called Perez. Afterward, his brother came out, who had the scarlet thread on his hand, and his name was called Zarah. Now, I mentioned Ruth, I mentioned Time. Well, Perez is an interesting guy, because if you turn over a handful of pages to the right in your Bible to Ruth, which comes right after Judges, Joshua, Judges, Ruth, you'd note in chapter 4 of Ruth, page 239 in my Bible, um, This is a magnanimous story about redemption. uh, Also includes the Leverite marriage scenario, and also uh, the laws of redemption are brought forth in this book. Fascinating. But they mention when Boaz Naomi's husband, so that the land and the inheritance would remain in the family. Otherwise, that family would be cut off and that land would be dispersed among the other Israelites. And so that was the requirement. And Boaz very magnanimously stepped up to the plate and said, I'll do it. I'll take Ruth as a wife also. And it's powerful. And so uh, it's done at the city gates where all the judicial things are done. There was a mirror of kin. You know, this is the story also of the kin's one that was nearer of him that had opportunity to redeem, but he was he was willing to redeem the land for Naomi. He was capable and he was it was his position to do so, but the fourth obligation was the Levite right marriage to the Moabite woman, which the law does not allow. And so he says, won't do it. And so. the widow of Nalon, I have acquired as my wife to perpetrate the name of the dead through his inheritance, that the name of the dead, which would be Elimelech, may not be cut off from among his brethren and from his position at the gate. You are witnesses this day. And all the people who were at the gate and the other said, we are witnesses. The Lord make the woman who is Like Rachel and Leah, the two who built the house of Israel. And may you prosper in Ephrathah and be famous in Bethlehem. May your house be like the house of Perez, whom Tamar bore to Judah because of the offspring. What's even more profound is how many years away the book of Ruth is from Genesis chapter 38. You see, Ruth occurs during the days of the Judges, and during the days of the Judges, it's a 450-year period. So from the time of Genesis 38, that's just as Joseph was going into Egypt. How long... Well, we know for sure there was 430 years of persecution, right? Then God sends Moses. Then they're in the wilderness for 40 years. Then Joshua takes them into the promised land, and you have the whole story of Joshua, and you come to the Judges. The Judges is 400-plus years, about 400 years. So the story of Ruth happening in the midst of the Judges there's a period of anywhere from six to eight hundred years from Genesis 38 to the story of Ruth, and. David's lineage, who is Boaz's mother? You know, Boaz takes Ruth, the Moabite, right? What the law would not allow, grace covers. Well, one ought to look at Boaz's Very sordid stories are in the lineage of our Savior Jesus Christ. And so when I think about Pentecost Sunday and I think about the book of Ruth and the significance of what's transpiring in the book of Ruth and how we're introduced again to the kinsman redeemer, and it's a picture, and Boaz is this marvelous picture. Boaz, this, I mean, it's so powerful. It's the typology that we find through just littered throughout the scripture, it's just there. Jesus. that to say, uh, I would like to spend time tonight in the book of Ruth, but we're going to uh, transition from Genesis 38 and that recap. Uh, I'll let you read the book of Ruth on your own. And uh, it's, it's again, this fascinating story of the grace of God and God's redemptive work. So we come to Genesis chapter 39. That was a quick recap. Genesis chapter 39, and we're going to get our attention turned This Now Joseph had been taken down to Egypt, and Potiphar, an officer of Pharaoh, captain of the guard, an Egyptian, bought him from the Ishmaelites, who had taken him down there. The Lord was with Joseph, and he was a successful man, and he was in the house of his master, the Egyptian. And his master saw that the Lord was with him, and that the Lord made all he did to prosper in his hands. Let me stop here for just a moment. Testament. One might say between the two testaments, the New Testament is in the Old Testament concealed. The Old Testament is in the New Testament revealed. And here we see Joseph is living well. He's living with character. He's living with wisdom towards those who are on the outside. He's 17 years old. Seventeen, And at 17, he's living with character. He is a chosen generation. He is a royal priesthood. He is a holy nation. He's a peculiar people. He is a people belonging to God. That's what Peter says of you and I. We are grafted into spiritual Israel, right? We are Joseph's sons. Have been grafted in and we are adopted in Jacob. You know the story, you heard it this morning. Genesis 49 He takes Joseph's two Gentile sons and adopts them into the family of God. It's a picture of the grace of God, it's a picture of the church. That's us, that's you and I. And this is Joseph is living as that chosen generation, and in the process of so doing, it says this number one, the Lord was. Joseph. So Joseph found favor. No, excuse me. Verse 3, and it says, And his master saw that the Lord was with him. You wonder what he saw. What did he see? Right? Well, we we certainly know that Simon the Sorcerer, in Acts chapter 8, he saw something with the laying on of hands that the Spirit of God was given. He saw it with his eyes. We know in 1 Samuel chapter 10 that Uh, that, that those who knew Saul previously saw with their eyes what he, under the inspiration of the Spirit of God, it says the Spirit of God came upon Saul and he prophesied with the prophets. And those who formerly knew him saw and they said, what is this? What has happened to the son of Kish? It even became a proverb amongst the people is Saul amongst the prophets it was there was an evidence of their Light of the world. No one lights a lamp and puts it under a bushel. You know the kids' song, hide it under a bushel. No, I'm going to let it shine. Hide it under a bushel. No, I'm going to let it shine. Right? And so there is evidence. What does Mark tell us in his gospel, the Great Commission? Go and preach the gospel to every creature. Mark 16.15. Go preach to every creature. These signs will follow them that believe. Turn to Mark 16 real quick. Keep your finger in Genesis who believes and is baptized will be saved, but he who does not believe will be condemned. And these signs will follow those who believe. does it say these signs might follow? does it say these signs probably will follow? Doesn't it say these signs hopefully will follow? No, it says these signs will follow them or those who believe. In my name they will cast out demons, they will speak with new tongues. They will take up serpents. If they drink anything deadly, it will by no means hurt them. They will lay hands on the sick, and they will recover. There's a pretty exciting set of things that follow. You read the book of Acts, Acts chapter 1 through Acts 28. We see all these signs happening. Simon the sorcerer saw healings already before Acts chapter 8. Simon the sorcerer saw demon expulsion before Acts 8. Simon saw some amazing things in the midst of Acts 8. Tongues, the laying on of hands, the sick being made well, taking up serpents. Uh, some churches have taken that way too far. I don't know where they are in the south somewhere, but uh, I've seen some crazy documentaries that not what it's talking about. You remember Paul on an island shipwrecked. What happens? He reaches for some wood and a poisonous snake Remember when the unnamed servant saw, excuse me, Rebecca. Scratch that. Rebecca, Laban's sister. Remember, Abraham sent the unnamed servant to go find a bride for his wife, or for Isaac, his son, as wife. And so he goes to Laban's. Laban is a type of the world, so he goes out in the world, and Rebekah comes to the well and he prays. The unnamed servant prays, oh, God, if this is the one, let her do thus and so. And she does exactly as he prays. And he goes, this must be the one. And so he tells his story. And then he adorns her with gifts. and he invited the unnamed servant into his tent. Who is Rebecca? She's the bride of Isaac. Isaac is a type of Christ. She's a type of the church, the bride of Christ. When the gifts that are given by the unnamed servant, who is a type of the Holy Spirit, are in proper operation, the world, Laban, will see the operations and see the gift, and will invite the unnamed servant into their own tent. That's the picture of salvation. It's powerful. It's so powerful. And so we have this. And so when these things are operating, those on the for self. We should be making a reputation for Jesus. Amen? Amen. Okay, so let's finger back in Genesis 39. So here's Joseph. Joseph, this man of integrity, this man of character, powerful display. His master, verse 3, saw the Lord was with him, and that the Lord made all things. things prospered. So Joseph, verse 4, found favor in his sight and served him. Then he, Potiphar, made him Joseph, overseer of his house. And all that he had, he put under his authority. Now that's something. He advanced in this Gentile organization, if you will, to the head of Potiphar's house. Now Potiphar is this guard. He's in a captain of the guard. In fact, we would know from even the language that he is the head of the uh, executioner. He is the guy over all capital punishment. And that's, that's imperative because we're going to see something happen in the story. And what he does might lend itself to a little understanding. We'll get there. I think we'll get there tonight. we got time. So it says, So it was from that time, verse 5, that he made him overseer of his house and all that he had, and the Lord blessed the Egyptian's house for Joseph's sake. And the blessing of the Lord was on all that he had in the house and in the field. Thus he left all he had in Joseph's hand, and he did not know what he had except the bread which he ate thus he left all that he had in Joseph's hands and he did not know what he had except for the bread which was which he ate now Joseph was handsome in form and appearance now just stop there real quick Joseph was handsome in form and appearance uh, remember Rachel that's his mom remember Rachel and what was said of Rachel Jacob saw Rachel, he fell in love with her instantly. He's like, Whoa, man. <laughs> She's awesome. And the scripture says, <laughs> You picked on, up on one of good. The scripture tells us that she was beautiful and formless. And so, no wonder Joseph is this handsome dude. The beauty of Joseph in his handsome in his appearance, apparently it has not gone to his head. I would suggest that's a good thing. Uh, Lucifer came to pass after these things that his master's wife cast longing eyes on Joseph. And she said, lie with me. Potiphar's wife is propositioning Joseph. Lie with me, handsome dude, handsome young man. But he refused and said to his master's wife, look, my master does not know what is wrong. all that he has to my hand. Look, your husband trusts me. He doesn't even know the affairs because he trusts me. He has seen that the Lord is with me. He has committed all that he has to my hand. Verse 9, there is no one greater in this house than I, nor has he kept back anything from me. It was as she spoke to Joseph. Listen, day by day, that he did not heed her to lie with her or to be with her. There's a picture of temptation, and there is an sampling and an example of victorious living. What what did we learn about sin? the story of Cain and Abel we saw Cain and God said to Cain why is your countenance downcast if you do good you'll be accepted but evil desires to have sin is crouching at your door and its desire is for you Paul says when I want to do good what evil is right there Paul says in Romans chapter 7, What I want to do, I do not do. What I want to do, that I don't do either. The very thing I don't want to do, I do. The very thing I want to do, I don't do. What's wrong with me? Who will save me from this body of flesh? Thanks be to God who gives us the victory through Jesus Christ. Hallelujah. And so here we see he is being tempted daily, 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 probably multiple times a day. What does 1 Corinthians 10, and verse 13 remind us? No temptation has seized us except that which is common to man. Guess what that tells me? Just like Joseph was tempted day by day, guess what? You and I will be being tempted day by day. John the Apostle tells us in one of his five letters what those temptations look like. 1 John chapter 2 and verse 16, For all that is in the world, the lust of the eyes, the lust of the flesh, and the pride of life, these are not of the Father, they're from the world. And these are the tools and the areas that the enemy will bring temptation in our lives. And it's day by day. But here's the beauty. Joseph is a picture, and he's also a type of Christ. In fact, there are many who have done studies and parallels of the life of Joseph. One guy has identified over 100 similarities and typologies, if you will. But one, the very specific, has 60 at least. And they're fascinating parallels. And you see Joseph as a type of Christ. He's a type of Christ. And he demonstrates the way to overcome. He does not give in to temptation. Day by day, he shows and says, no, you can be with the Lord with us. Corinthians 10, 13, go on to tell us, God will not allow us to be tempted beyond that which we can bear, and he is always what? Faithful. And he will always provide a way of escape. Always. And here's the beauty. He'll always tell us where it is. He'll always tell us what to do. He'll tell us. Then it becomes our decision. Will we be like Joseph and say, I'll take the way. What Joseph does so day by day. Verse 11. But it happened about this time when Joseph went into the house to do his work, and none of the men of the house was inside. This almost makes me wonder if she did something sinister to get all of the male servants out of the house. Get all of the male servants. This is Potiphar's house. He's got men servants. Most of the men in the Egyptian life that were servants in the house of the captains and the leadership, they were eunuchs. They were man-made eunuchs so that there would be no funny business going on. How is it that the house was without any of these male servants? Makes me wonder. Be reminded that our enemy is crafty. He's crafty. 1 Corinthians 11, verse 3, tells us the craftiness of our enemy. He sees, he sees, he blinds eyes. Proverbs tells us, in this situation, what, what's the scenario? She's in the house, and he's in the house, and they're all alone. Alone. Proverbs tells us, the man who seeks isolation rages against all sound wisdom. Alone, where where do you think the enemy wants to get you? Alone. Why? Because we are at our most vulnerable place when we're by ourselves. Because it's there If you're the son of God, say to these stones, become bread. Right? I mean, he's he's working the alone thing. Can I break down your character? Can I break down your integrity? And that's what the enemy, it's his scheme. It's his plan. He's been doing it from the very beginning, from the very onset. Let me get you alone. Let me get you alone. Let me get you alone. We'll see about character. Now, God allowed it to happen, didn't he? He allowed it. In fact, I think in Jesus' case, when John the Baptist pulled Jesus up out of the water and the Spirit of God I think the Father was up in heaven just going, "Yes, that's my boy. That's my boy, and he's ready." Spirit of God, take him out into the desert. challenge Let's go. I just think He's just like, "That's my boy. Go get him. He's ready." And Jesus is out in the wilderness alone. He's fasted every day and he's being bombarded. We have three accounts of the temptation but Jesus he, he showed us how we can live. He approached his kinsman redemption as fully man. He's tempted in every way we are. That's what Hebrews tell him. And he was about it in the book of Hebrews. It's powerful. So, we can live this way. And we can walk. So, be advised, be heads up, eyes open. If you're seeking to be alone, check your motives. What do you check your motives with? Do you ask a friend? What's our rule of faith and conduct? The Word of God. It's living and active, sharper than a two-edged sword, penetrating to the dividing of the soul and the spirit, the bone and the marrow. And it is the discerner of the motive and the intent of the heart. It's the plumb line. It's the plumb line. So I can go to the Word of God, and I can be a student of God's Word, and it begins to reveal. And the Spirit of God will say, Look, Bub, I love you. But you're trying to get alone so you can indulge. Oh, I'm setting myself up for failure. Yes. Hello. So we ought to learn from that. We're better together. Can I get an amen? It is. Hey, when a man finds a wife, what does the Scripture say? He finds a good thing. Why did God make Eve for Adam? It is not good that what? Man should be alone. I will make a help meet for him so that the two can walk together. Ecclesiastes tells us in chapter 4 two are what? Better than one. If one falls, the other is there to help him up. That's so So, how did the house become empty? Well, we don't have just conjecture. It would be my assumption that she cleared the house. That's conjecture. But nevertheless, here's Joseph. They're alone. And it says, but it happened this time, verse 11, when Joseph went into the house to do his work. Don't you love that Joseph was on task? He goes into the house to do his work. I'm just doing my job that when you're just doing your job, temptation will come. It happens. We live in the flesh, we do not walk according to the, or we do not wage war according to the flesh. The weapons of our warfare are not carnal. They're mighty through God pulling down strongholds. Right? We gotta be ready. We gotta be geared. We gotta have our stuff on every single day. Every day. Right, John Moore? Every single day. Three kids. On man, got to get my breastplate of righteousness, my helmet of salvation, breastplate of righteousness, belt of truth, my feet fitted with the readiness of the gospel of peace. Take up the shield of faith, with which I can extinguish all of the fire darts of the evil one. Take up the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God, and pray in the spirit on all occasions. They'd be sitting in the car, and their mother would look in the rearview mirror and say, "Let's get our gear on." And they'd put their armor on every single day. To this very day, my wife calls our daughter in the morning. will come when it's least expected he's about his work verse 11 went into the house to do his work and none of the men of the house was inside that she caught him by his garment saying lie with me but he left his garment in her hand and fled and ran outside you get the picture that she is like now at this point she's groping this dude she's like on him And he is like escape mode, like ninja, matrix, losing his coat in the process and turning and running. I mean, this guy, he is out of there. And what do you think she's feeling? Absolute rejection. She's scorned. He has brought in to us a Hebrew to mock us. He would be Potiphar, her husband. She's she's blaming him. You get the feeling that maybe there's something going on between the two of them. Relationally, there's something not right. And I get a sneaky suspicion by what he does with Joseph that he doesn't really believe. She called the men to her house and spoke to them, saying, See, he has brought into us a Hebrew to mock us. He came into me to lie with me, and I cried out with a loud voice. And it happened when he heard that I lifted my voice and cried out that he left his garment with me and fled. she kept his garment with her until his master came home. Then she spoke, verse 17, to him with words like these, saying, The Hebrew servant whom you brought to, to us came in to me to mock me. So it happened as I lifted my voice and cried out that he left his garment with me and fled outside. Verse 19. So it was. I will say this, I will say this. Joseph's master took him and put him into the prison, a place where the king's prisoners were confined. And he was there in the prison. But the Lord was with Joseph and showed him mercy. And he gave him favor in the sight of the keeper of the prison. And the keeper of the prison committed to Joseph's hand all of the prisoners, all the prisoners who were in the prison. Whatever they did there, it was his doing. The keeper of the prison did not look into anything that was under Joseph's authority because the Lord was with him, and whatever he did, the Lord made it prosper. You, you see, God's hand is on Joseph. God's hand is on Joseph, and it's powerful. It's powerful. And so, well, how are we doing, time How are you guys doing? Seven eighteen. We have about twelve minutes. You guys good? Dive into verse chapter forty. You ready to roll? Let's do this. All right. Chapter 40. This chapter will go relatively quickly. It's a good one. It came to pass after these things that the butler and the baker of the king of Egypt offended their lord, the king of Egypt. And Pharaoh was angry with his two officers, the chief butler and the chief baker. So he put them in the custody of the house of the captain of the guard in the prison, the place where Joseph was confined. And the captain of the guard charged Joseph with them, and he served them. So they were in custody for a while. Then the butler and the baker of the king of Egypt, who were confined in the prison, had a dream, both of them, each man's dream in one night, and each man's dream with its own interpretation. Verse 6. And Joseph came into them in the morning and looked at them, and saw that they were sad. Let me suggest something real quick. Be observant with the people that God places you in a realm of influence with. Be observant. Because people's countenance will reveal. The Bible says, as in water, face reflects faith. So a man in water, mirror image, face reflects face, so a man's heart will reveal the man. I believe that you and I will be able to see that because it's out of the abundance of the heart that the mouth speaks. We'll be, if we're observant, we'll pick up on Said that nice thing that just made you feel that you were built up, you were encouraged. Maybe they exhorted you, maybe they instructed. He's see, he walks in and he says, Who died? What's going on in this room? Why is everyone so sad? He wants to know. Verse 7. So he asked Pharaoh's officers who were with him in the custody of his Lord's house, saying, Why do you look so sad today? That's a that's a what a great approach. What's going on? Hey, how are you doing? about on a Sunday morning? Why do you look so sad today? And they said to him, "We each have had a dream, and there is no interpreter of it." I'd like to stop right here. This is so great, Joseph. It's been a couple years, right? So he's been in Pharaoh's house, and day by day, you get the idea that some time has transpired. How old was he when he had a couple of dreams in Genesis 37? now someone's coming to him and saying well we have these dreams who was the one who interpreted the dreams that he got god gave him the interpretation and so he just shared it in his naivety in his simplicity he's like hey man i had a dream and god gave me the interpretation this is what it is mom dad you guys are the sun and the moon and my brothers are all the stars you're all going What does he say? So Joseph said to them, verse 8, middle of the verse, do not interpretations belong to God? Tell them to me, please. Like, load me up, man. This is right up my alley. God gives me interpretations. Let's hear it. Do not interpretations belong to God. Listen, the earth is the Lord and the fullness thereof. God is the one who is the giver of dreams the giver of vision. So he has the interpretation. Then the chief butler told his dream to Joseph and said to him, Behold, in my dream, a vine was before me, and in the vine were three branches. It was as though it budded, its blossoms shot forth, and its clusters brought forth ripe grapes. Then Pharaoh's cup was in my hand, and I took the grapes and press them into Pharaoh's cup and placed the cup in Pharaoh's hand. And Joseph said to him, This is the interpretation of it. The three branches are three days. Now, within three days, Pharaoh will lift up your head and restore you to your place, and you will put Pharaoh's cup in his hand according to the former matter when you were his butler. By the way, butler here, it was a, he was a chief officer in Pharaoh's home. He was like... Advanced forward and went to Nehemiah's story. Nehemiah, in about 445 B.C., he was the cupbearer to the king. He was an officer in this king's. He, he, here he was a Jew and an officer in a foreign nation's legion, but he was a cupbearer. He drank the wine first, and if he didn't die because of poison, then the king would drink the wine. as in the former matter. Verse 14. But, Joseph says, Remember me when it is well with you, and please show kindness to me. Make mention of me to Pharaoh, and get me out of this house. For indeed, I was stolen away from the land of the Hebrews, and I also have done nothing here that they should put me into this dungeon. Verse 16. When the chief baker saw that the interpretation was good, He said to Joseph, I also was in my dream. You can almost just imagine the baker, like he's hearing it all play out. He's like, three days restored, man, back into the former glory. Woo-hoo! He's like, I was in my dream also. Tell me about me. Tell me about me. So he says, I also, verse 16, middle of the verse, I also was in my dream, and there were three white baskets the uppermost basket were all kinds of baked goods and pharaoh, uh, for Pharaoh, and the birds ate them out of the basket on my head. This would be a common way of to got their head lifted up, the other's got his head lifted off, Uh, will lift off your head from you and hang you on a tree, and the birds will... made a feast for all his servants, and he lifted up the head of the chief butler and of the chief baker among his servants. Uh, Then he restored the chief butler uh, to his butlership again, and he placed the cup in Pharaoh's hand. But he hanged the chief baker, as Joseph had interpreted to them, yet the chief butler did not. Others didn't like that he was a person of integrity and told his dad stories on them. Cast in the cistern, sold off to some Ishmaelites. God is with him, God raises him up. Joseph is keeping the right mindset. God's working and God's in control. God's working and God's in control. Then he gets this false accusation made against him. He's number two in. There's no one greater in the house than him. Joseph actually has greater stature than Potiphar's wife. that there is going- All of the life groups, uh, or many of the life groups, will be continuing through the summertime, so there will be great opportunities for Bible study and so forth, and uh, for the men, there's uh, a number of activities, for the women, and a number of activities as well, and uh, we church can't have a number of other activities that will forthcoming, and we're going to have some work projects, uh, we're going to have demolition days, we're going to have a number of other things, we don't know how all those pieces are going to work out, uh, but things are rolling, and it's exciting, and uh, possessions are forthcoming, so I can't leak any more of it out, it's just good. <laughs> said, let's close in a word of prayer, and uh, we will uh, ask God to bless our forthcoming week. Father, we love you. We thank you for your word. We thank you for the ensampling. Paul tells us in the New Testament uh, that these things happened and they were written down for our admonition. In other words, we can learn from these historical narratives of God in the heart and in the lives of the children of Israel, the leadership of the nation of Israel, and we can learn. We can learn both from their victories, like Joseph, and we learn from the mistakes that they made. God, help us to apply the word of God into our lives. Lord, not only to have the information and the knowledge, not only to endeavor into some of the uh, Hebraic. There's a hint of something more here. What is this? But that we would take on that homiletic piece and say, How does what does this mean to me? Spirit of God, what do you want me to do? Maybe even the spirit just laying someone on my heart and I want to be like Joseph and say, How are you doing? Lord, may we take that and weave it into the fabric of